You're listening to a teaching from Get the Word Out and Mary Jean Powers. For more information and audio content, visit www.getthewordout.cc. You come as the personal presence of God with us and in us. And we say, you are so welcome here. Do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can set ourselves up for healing. We can set ourselves up for mourning, for grieving well. We can, but you are the helper. And we need help. That's why we're here. We need (coughs) help. And you're just the best. You're the best at it. So you're welcome here. I don't even pretend to know what places in our hearts, even my own heart, that you want to touch today. It's none of my business, but it's very much yours. So, do what you want to do. Say what you want to say. You know what it's time for, and you know what it's not time for. And we're just here to say, okay, I'll roll with that. Okay, I'll look at that. I'll think about that, or okay, I'll let go of that, or I'll admit that, (laughs) or all of the above. But you know, and we would just like to say to you, you are our God, and there is no other. We will not make a God of our grief. We will not make a God of the event that we call bereavement. We will not make a God of mourning. You're our God. And as one of the prophets said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Honestly, Lord, we, I think in some regard or the other, we could all echo that today. I don't know what to do with me. But you're my God. And I trust you. And those who trust in you <laughs> will never be disappointed. And those who trust in you will never be put to shame. So today, first of all, Lord, I would like to restrict and bind any spirit of shame today or heaviness that would keep us from welcoming you into doing whatever it is you want to do. And we release you, God, to be our God in these next few hours together. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for your presence that was already in this home before we arrived today. Thank you for setting us up. (laughs) Thank you for setting us up. You're really good at that. And so may we be really good at saying yes, Lord. Wherever you want to go, whatever you want to do, our response is yes. So we bring our bodies weary from grieving, from mourning. We bring our emotions frazzled. (laughs) We bring our brains that are just so muddled sometimes. And in desperate need of a good God. But we know that because we are joined in one spirit with you and with your spirit, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. may take a while, such as the human condition, but we're going to be okay. So, we look to you now. We lock eyes with you. All of us. All of us. We look to you. And to look to you, I am learning, means we have to look away from something else. So, Lord, would you help us today to focus exclusively on your words, your heart, your mind, your thoughts, your plans, the way you want to pursue them, we're yours. We're yours. Thank you. 
and you're welcome here. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Uh, I don't know all of you, but this is my son David. I'm Mary Jean Powers, and we uh, don't get to do things together often, but when we do, we sure enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So, come on. Can I park in your driveway? Is that okay? Sure, you can park in my driveway. Heidi, <laughs> <laughs> is it okay if she parks in your driveway? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here we are, huh? Day we've all been waiting for. I'll talk about that later. And let's just say, let's set some rules here. If you need to move your chair uh, just to see and make contact, because I can't see every face, but I sure like faces. So if you want to tweak yourselves or adjust, there's still some couch places up here and a couple here, and do what you need to do. Um, let's just decide straight up that this is a judgment-free zone. We dare not judge in grief, right? Because everybody's different. And there is no way you can say to me or I can say to you, I understand. Because we don't. I'm not you. Haven't been there. Your circumstances are different. Mine are different. And the way we respond is very different. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. yeah? But God knows. This is why we have a God. So we dare not. We must not. We cannot. And we may even do a little repenting where we have judged. Not a bad thing, repentance. It's a good setup for us from the Lord. So, uh, we can't compare one person's grief experience to another. We just simply can't. But God knows. What we are here to do is to learn to love better, both ourselves and one another. And God. Trusting Him. Because some trust has kind of gone away when the grief came. Yeah? And we'll talk about the theology issue a little bit. Uh, when we get there, you can, uh, you can pray for me. <laughs> that we present it rightly. So... Uh, what David and I are not are licensed counselors. However, we have been through enough counseling between the two of us that they should give us an honorary degree or something. We've been on the other side of the couch a lot. Uh, we are not here to fix your pain. I hope you're not here to get fixed. I, that's just not going to happen. Today will be one more piece in the puzzle of whatever your grief looks like. Just another piece. That's all. And God's cool with that. He's okay with that. And so let's, let's uh, let ourselves be okay with that. Um, we will most likely repeat ourselves, and we will most likely repeat one another. I have found that in grief, uh, my brain needs repetition because it's so scattered. I can't seem to nail down any thought that's concrete, and repetition is important. It's necessary. So no apologies here for, for any repetitions we might do. Um, <coughs> Uh, grief is so far off of our, our grid culturally, and particularly, I would say, culturally with our male population. So the few of you males who chose to come today, thank you. Thank you, because you knew you were coming to a room full of women. And, and, uh, but thank you for your tenderness and your sensitivity and your desire. Uh, this, is, this is not an easy thing. Our culture has not been kind to the grieving. Our culture has particularly not been kind to grieving men and to mourning men. So, so God be with you, gentlemen. And may you take whatever he has for you today and pass it on well. What we say today may sound really simple. It may be the obvious. And that's exactly what we need. Because when emotions enter and hearts break, we miss the obvious. And we miss the simple. 
So again, no apologies there. Um, we are too distracted in grief often to, to say, bring on the challenge, Lord, and uh, I'll just look at it completely and thoroughly and deal with this. I have, uh, actually, I remember one day in one of my hundreds of counseling sessions, uh, going to my counselor and at the end of our session saying, um, I'm, just so you know, I am not leaving your office till I'm healed, till I am fixed. I'm not doing that. And she, she said, would you just get out of here? <laughs> you are not going to get fixed in a moment. You cannot fix yourself. And I don't want to be with you that much, okay? So <laughs> you just leave. What we do have to offer to you today is just a lot of life experience, and unfortunately part of that is a lot of grief. Um, we can offer you a lot of information, books we've read, and counselors we've talked to, and things we've prayed through. What we can offer you today is many years of sitting with Jesus in our sadness. And that's something we often don't allow ourselves to do. Even in our church culture, is sit with Jesus in our sadness. But we've learned to do that. And would like to invite you to do the same today. Um, we can offer you pastoral hearts. We can offer you some level of empathy, a little bit. Definitely some sympathy, a lot of hope. Those of you who have known me for years, for decades, know that I am not the same person I was because of sitting with Jesus in a lot of sadness. And um, if he's anything, he is the restorer of what has been lost. He is, and he is faithful. So we're in good hands. We're in good hands. Today we invite you simply to come and to be with him and to let him do what only he can do. So let's start. Now the teacher in me needs to kick in, get rid of the lump in my throat. <laughs> and let's start with some definitions. Uh, this, is, this is necessary. First one we have is bereavement. <coughs> bereavement is the event that happened that caused the loss. It is the loss, whatever it was. The event that happened. It's the thing that, um, that happened to me that I look back on and you know how you know those memories sometimes when your gut goes like this or you kind of flinch? You know those I'm talking about? Uh, it's that event. That's what bereavement is. Old school word, not one we use in English very much. Uh, second word is grief. Grief is the emotion that you feel about the event. It's what's going on on the inside of you about that event that happened. But thirdly, to mourn is how you express the grief that you feel. It's what you do externally to express what you're feeling internally. And that will help us, I don't know about you, but that really helps me sort through me. Just that helps me sort through the, oh, I need to do something about what I'm feeling and not just feel it. Yeah, because just feeling it isn't always going to heal it, but expressing it will. And one of our, our focal, point, uh, uh, focal points today will be talking about the, the gift and the grace of community when it comes to healing. 
when it comes to grieving, when it comes to mourning. Again, countercultural, counterchurch cultural. Because our immediate um, judgment starts to flare, doesn't it? When we see someone, let's just say it right now, who makes us feel uncomfortable. I don't know what to do with you in this condition, and so I'm going to try to make it better for me. <laughs> I'm going to try to feel better about myself right now because this is awkward, right? And I don't know what to do with you. So understanding even this and giving each other some space to give ourselves the space and to give one another the space to say, I will sit with you in this. I will sit with you while we sit with Jesus in this. It will change everything. But community is a huge part, a, a huge part of our healing process and our grief. So, where there is love, there will be loss. Period. We can expect it. If we have loved, not just a person, a thing, a goal, a dream, a hope, an opportunity. Where there's been love, there will be loss on some degree. It may be something as simple as a disappointment or an expectation that wasn't met, but something will happen. Eventually something will happen and loss will be experienced. The love was real, so the loss will be real. And if the loss is real, the grief will be felt. So what are we going to do about it? Where there's loss, there will be emptiness, there will be pain, there will be a hole, right? That's, that's obvious. So let's give ourselves permission to be empty and to not have anything right now to contribute. You ever feel like that? You feel guilty sometimes because I don't have it. I don't have it at all to give to you because I am too empty for this. But we still have to get up in the morning and go to work. And we still have to smile at those, well, not all of us have to smile at those people, but we still have to act like we're alive. And that makes the pain worse if we don't have the external processing and the people to do it with. So death is a predictable part of life. Why didn't they tell us that early on? <laughs> it will happen. And death in all kinds of uh, areas. And because we live in such a broken and fallen world, there will be a big, a huge variety of kinds of death we can experience. There are little tiny ones every single day, and there are great big huge ones that we never ever wanna, would wish on anyone else, right? So let's do this. Let's name, let's name some of these areas. The obvious is, of course, losing a loved one, right? What else do we lose? Friendships. Yes, friendships. Keep going. A job. Yep. A job position. Okay. And I would add to that an opportunity. I thought I had it. I, I was right on the edge of it and it didn't go through. What else? Identity. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole separate seminar. <laughs> Identity loss is a second degree loss. I experienced this. There was an event, but what it did inside me, I lost, I lost part of me in that. I had to redefine part of me in that. Uh, 
one of my more recent ones, and I know some of you can relate to this, is with, within 11 months time frame, uh, my, my father died, my son divorced, not that one, uh, <laughs> my son divorced, he, he and his kids moved in with me, and my mother died in 11 months just a, a few years ago, very few years ago. And um, uh, I had to do the look in the mirror thing and say, I know it's really weird that at this age I would say this, but I'm an orphan now. So now what does it mean to be a, a, a daughter? I, I got I to tweak my thinking. What does it mean to be daughter now? If you, if you lose a child, what does it mean to be mother now? If you lose a friend, what does it mean to be friend now? Identity, all of these are called second degree losses. The event happened, but here's how it affected me. Something inside me changed. Now what do I do? Okay, something else? house or home. Okay, material possessions. Material possessions, but but more specifically a house. That's that's big. Yeah? What else? Innocence. Health. Oh my goodness. I heard someone else. Innocence. Innocence. Really important one. And we need to somehow or other be equipped to particularly walk our children through this, yeah. or our grandchildren, when the world is not what I thought it would be. Mm -hmm. yeah. Not to mention our own yeah. innocence that's lost. Good one, Owenny, thank you. Someone else? Trust. Trust, if trust is lost, yeah. Uh, trust a dream, whoops, a dream or a goal. It may be something as simple as winning the championship in my basketball team, or, but there's something that happens when I lose. There's something that happens, and, and we need to be human. We need to figure out our humanity and figure out ways to express that. So um, what made, I was thinking back on Jesus' life and the disciples, what made their experience with Jesus unique? Was it the, the loss itself? Certainly how traumatic the loss of Jesus was. Certainly their hope and dream in he's the Messiah, thinking that he would be a political Messiah. Mm -hmm. Certainly their disappointment over it's not time to overthrow the Roman government. You know, Certainly uh, the loss of a good friend, a traveling companion. I mean, three year, a three-year outreach, basically. You know, uh, So much loss. And we can, we can identify with some of those. But the thing that really sets apart the disciples' loss from other losses was the resurrection. They had a verifiable hope <laughs> that came out of the, the death, that came out of the loss, that some way or other, not in a denial kind of way, and not in a Christian cliche, oh, Jesus is just so good. And I, not that, but a, a, a river, something in my gut, at the deepest level that says, I'm going to get through this, and life will make sense again, and the hole will always be there, and the emptiness will always be there. I'll just learn how to live with it, not just survive with it. I'll learn how to live with it. That's our hope. And it doesn't sound all glittery and glowy right now of, well, that's as good as it's going to get? Maybe. Maybe. 
but we can live again. We can choose life again. We can learn to choose life in various situations again where there once has been grief mm -hmm. and mourning. But it's totally normal for the whole to still be there and to feel the emptiness. <clears throat> once innocence is lost, sweetheart, it's lost. They died. The job opportunity's gone forever. The house burned. A loss is a loss, and the emptiness will be there, but we'll learn how to live and choose life in the midst of it. And this is what Jesus offers us. Points of resurrection. Points of resurrection. You may not, uh, you, you may not remarry the guy you divorced, nor may you want to. But we learn to live divorced. We do. Jesus makes a way where there doesn't seem to be any way to get our lives back. So what we, what we need to stay focused on in some regard, even though it's way out there, and no matter where we are on the continuum of our, our grieving mourning uh, scale, everything is redeemable. Everything is redeemable if God is as good as he says he is. Obviously, we don't get the thing back, the event back. But, it, but there's, a point, there's some point of redemption in there. If there's not some point of redemption in there, why do we follow him? <laughs> why are we here? Why do we, why do we stay after it with him in relationships, seeking him, asking him questions, crying with our God if there's not hope for redemption? He is a redeemer. He did buy back. Because he is acquainted with our grief and he is a man of sorrows, he bought back some wholeness for us. Yeah. He's made, he'll make a way, but he'll always surprise us in the way he makes <laughs> the way. He will always surprise us with who he uses to make the way. And he'll always surprise us with the timing. He'll always surprise us with the circumstances. But may we have eyes to start seeing little glimpses of resurrection, little glimpses of redemption, because it will help to sustain us. May we have eyes to see all the time, no matter what stage of grief we are in. Eyes to see, there's a little hope right there, and to celebrate that. I laughed today, and to celebrate that. I finally cried today and to celebrate that. Points of healing, points of redemption, points of resurrection. Look for them, enjoy them, celebrate them. They're there. They're there. They might be few and far between, but they're there. They will be there. The relationship may not ever be reconciled or restored, but your heart can be if you forgive. Your heart can be if you forgive. If you don't forgive, it's not going to happen. So forgiveness is a huge part of the mourning process that walks us through what we're feeling internally. And don't we get unforgiving about the strangest things when we're grieving? You know? The day after my dad died, I was at the cemetery by myself. And I was so grateful. <laughs> I was by myself. They may have locked me up had, had I not been. Uh, the, the 
of course, the casket was in the ground and the, the pile of dirt was there and the flowers were there. And I have been through so much counseling over my relationship with my dad or the lack thereof. I have been, I have dealt with my stuff. And all of these new feelings. I teach on the Father heart of God, for heaven's sakes. I, I know the stuff. I know who God is, and I have let him be. And then, Dad goes and dies. <laughs> and it's like a new chapter needs to be written in the book. New feelings. You can't prepare for stuff like that, because until the event happens, you don't know what's going to surface. I don't care how many books we read. I don't care how many little seminars we've gone to. It, you can't prepare for the real deal. Not fully. So I'm out in the cemetery, screaming at my father for not being a father. I never had a dad. And working through that whole process. And it was great. I mourned it by screaming in the cemetery. And you know what? I haven't felt the grief since. But I think it's because of all of those years of counseling for giving my dad for one thing after the other. Pretty sure that's why that is. Yeah. That was kind of the once for all, this is the end thing, you know? And I'm not mad at dad anymore. I really feel sorry for him, though, for who he couldn't be. Yeah. But reality is, I grew up and missed being fathered, missed being daddied. I missed it. Some of you did too. It's getting more and more common around the world, by the way. <clears throat> because the things that God wants to use the most yeah. are the things the enemy attacks the hardest. Yeah. And having a father and a daddy and that kind of love is one of the most identity-establishing things we experience in human life. And the enemy doesn't want us to understand the Father's great love for us. And he has made this an all-out war all over the world. Stealing fathers. Stealing men. Stealing identity as a result. So, we watch for points of resurrection, huh? In the early church, <clears throat> The early church fathers practiced a spiritual discipline that we have lost, unfortunately. Uh, we have heard it in recent years, or all, all through, the, through the ages, really, called centering prayer, or uh, a, a point at which we close our eyes and become very focused on and aware that the kingdom of God is within me. In fact, Emmanuel lives there by the person of the Holy Spirit. And we re-engage with that reality because we so quickly lose that reality when we open our eyes and start to live our life again. <coughs> and so many times a day, the early church fathers would, would do centering prayer and remind themselves of who they were, remind themselves of who their God was. Just realign with Father. Realign with Him. And what we realize when we do that is this, he sees you. He knows. He knows what you can't even put words to some days. 
When nobody else is around and you're processing by yourself, he is. He's around. And you are not by yourself. He sees you. And nothing goes unnoticed by him. In his beauty and his grace, he not only sees you and weeps with you, but he's not going anywhere. He's waiting for response. Patiently, kindly, gently, graciously waiting for a response. But hear this, you guys. He sees you. Allow yourself, please, in his presence to be seen. Otherwise, this concept that God sees us, this theology, it's what I believe, but what not what I know. What I believe, who cares what we believe? Who cares if we don't act on it and allow him the space and the time Allow ourselves the vulnerability with him in his presence to be seen and to do whatever it takes. David was famous for this, wasn't he, in the, in the Psalms. Uh, it's just it, basically his journal. Uh, of course, he didn't write all of them, but he wrote a lot of them. It's, it's a journal of a, of a very, very human man who was deeply in love with his God. And he was all over the place. It seemed like he was schizophrenic some days. He would, he would write this beautiful poem, and who knows what the music sounded like. I would love to hear it, maybe. But, but he writes this poem, this song, these lyrics, and he says, God, they're after me. I'm going to die. But you are God. But there are 400 of them. But you are God. But, but I'm, I don't know what to do with myself. I'm just in this cave, and I'm crying, and I'm strumming on my harp in the back. And my... My followers think I'm crazy, and they don't know what to do with me. But I don't know what to do with me either. And you have promised you are God over this. And he's just, he's centering. He's centering. And he goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, psalm after psalm after psalm, back and forth. And we say, I can relate to that <laughs> multiple times a day. Back and forth. We need to come back and center and center on who, what he is saying and watch for his resurrection in the process. It will help if we center. It will help. So in your folders, you have a couple of things uh, that I want to draw attention to. We live in a very broken world. Is that not true? Yes. Reality? Uh, here's an extra one if someone needs. Yeah, Heather, you want to come get this? Uh, we live in a very, very broken world. And because of that, we can expect brokenness and a lot of it. Yeah? Secondly, that counters that, that truth, that reality, God is good. And when we suffer, our theology will be challenged. When we suffer, God's goodness will be challenged. It will be. When we're in pain, we start asking all kinds of crazy questions that we would never ask had we not been in pain. And thirdly, everything is redeemable. So I just set that aside as something for you. It may be something you want to put on your refrigerator or something that you want to put on your desk or someplace. But if we remember these three things, it will bring us back and center us again with, yeah, this is really a broken place where we live. Really, really broken. But God is good and everything's redeemable. No idea how he's going to do it, but I trust him. Actually, he's my only hope. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing since he's trustworthy. 
Secondly, in that, uh, your first page on the right side is this little bridge we're going to talk about. A transition bridge. Ever felt like this? How many times in your life have you already felt like this? Uh, uh, some of you have heard me teach on, on Sabbath before, and one of the things that we talk about in our teaching on Sabbath during a transition experience, and how many different kinds of transitions do we go to go through? Oh my goodness. It's not just these. Sometimes it's daily, huh? We're transitioning continually. This seems to be the pattern. We, uh, we settle, or we are settled, and then transition hits full force, and chaos breaks out. It's unsettling. Then we learn to resettle, and then we become settled again. Only for the next bridge to come. Have you noticed how that works? So this concept of time, I want to talk about that in light of this. Uh, this concept of time, uh, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are two words for time. One of them is, uh, both Greek words, one of them is chronos, and it basically means, what time is it? C-H-R-O-N-O-S. Chronos. What time is it? Uh, uh, it was time to start this workshop at 1 o'clock. It's, it's the calendar time. It's the clock time. The other word, it's a Greek word, is kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. And it means, what is it time for? What is it time for? The clock says, it's time for this. But what is the sacred time? What's the holy time? What is this time for, from God's perspective, taking in mind your condition, whatever your condition is? When bereavement happens... Grief happens unless we're in total denial, which could be a, a viable stage. When grief happens, it's time to mourn. Period. When grief happens, it's time to mourn. It's holy time. It's sacred time. It's set-apart time. It's not just necessary for my emotional stability. It's far beyond that. It is a time unlike any other where something can happen in your heart. It's never been time to happen before. Something can happen in your relationships that there's never been opportunity for before this. Something can happen at the point of, of grieving where God says, oh, let's sequester you for a little bit. Not away from the stuff you have to do, but in your heart of hearts. And if you're going to make time to mourn well the grief that you feel, if you're going to make time for that and space for that, you have to say no to something else. You can't just fit it in. It doesn't work that way. And our emotions don't allow us for it to work that way. It simply doesn't work that way. So know yourself well enough. Know about grief well enough to know that when you are mourning something, you need to set aside time for it. It's important. Make the time. Create the time. Say no to something. Get the babysitter. Go away for the week. Do something. But make time. The hope in this for us, the beauty in this as Jesus followers, is that he will meet us in that holy time. Some things don't just automatically happen need to set aside time for it and then show up and say what are we going to do about this
and he will meet us. He will meet us. So in the chaos, when life is unsettled, before it resettles again, regardless of the kind of transition we're experiencing, center. Come back to the center of the kingdom of God within you. Come back to his presence. Come back to Emmanuel. Come back to a, an honest look at what you truly need right now. And that is not called selfish. It's called welcome to the human race. You need it, so choose it. It's a way we choose life. Expect chaos on some level. It's normal. It's normal. Now, some of the people who don't understand some of this will not give us permission for that to be normal. But it is. It is. So if the house is a wreck, or the meals aren't so good, or you gain a few pounds, or you lose a few pounds, well, we just don't know, do we? But we do need to allow ourselves the freedom and the permission to be human. So that said, let's look at some uh, basic areas that we're going to need to pay attention to. We can expect fatigue. <laughs> How's that for an encouraging word? <laughs> expect fatigue. Anybody relate to that? Yes. It's an unusual kind of fatigue too, isn't it? It's not, it's not your basic, I worked really hard yesterday, or wow, I didn't sleep well last night. It's not, this is, this is beyond that. And so, what, in what areas will be, we be expecting fatigue? Well, first of all, mental, right? Uh, you ever noticed how you just can't focus very well when you're grieving? Yeah, your brain, it's... It's like Winnie the Pooh. It's just kind of stuffed with fluff, and, and it doesn't function right. It's just kind of all over the place, or it's nowhere, but it's just difficult to focus. So mental fatigue, and you have to, this is a, this is a situation that's going to be a challenge because do you know what to do for yourself when you're fatigued mentally? Do you know how to have mercy on you and not expect your, of yourself what is normal because now you're you got a new normal you have a new normal for a while and so what do you need to do to not put the pressure on yourself to be as sharp as you were to be as focused might have to say no to some stuff so that you have capacity for what you have to say yes to that makes sense yeah yeah can i uh, contribute a thought there please yeah she gave me permission to just jump in every now and again <laughs> and um so i just wanted to jump in here that uh, when mental fatigue happens, it's difficult to be able to ask the right questions because you're brain damaged, you know what I mean? It's like, I can't even think right right now, so how am I supposed to know what questions to ask when my brains are not there fully? And this is a perfect reason why we need friends and community to walk through this stuff with us. Somebody that just looks at you in the eyeballs and says, so how are you? What's going on with you? You doing okay in there? Looks like you might be fried a little bit mentally. Tell you what. I'm just going to permission you. Why don't you take some rest? Why don't you let me take your kids? Whatever. Good friends. Yeah. Really tough to process loss outside mm -hmm. community. Don't advise it at all, actually. But, but when, you're, when your brain's struggling, friends can help. Mm -hmm. Help point it out. 
and not point it out, but also remind us what helps. Good friends who know us well enough to say, you know, last time it really helped you win. Why don't you go try that again? But if we don't have a community, if we don't have those kinds of friends, then whew, yeah. really, really hard. I've got a buddy who, um, he's in a really tough transition, and he really does well journaling, but he's too busy to journal. And so my job on a weekly basis is to say, hey, buddy, you getting any time to journal? Oh, yeah, 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 I got to do that. Because right now he can't think about it. There's too much transition. So that's my role, just to help him remind him about the things that he connects with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we need to do that for each other. Uh, not just be the recipient of, but the giver, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then, of course, emotional roller coaster. <clears throat> the triggers. Least expect it. And suddenly, the lump in your throat is big, and, and your eyes are leaking, and, or you just feel yourself shut down, you know? Uh, the emotional triggers are unpredictable, absolutely unpredictable. If you will look in your folder on the uh, left side, the next page, after the chaos page, it's uh, normal functioning and returning to, to meaningful life. This, uh, this grief curve, you could say, is so, so normal, you guys. And it's not that you start on the left side and you swing down to the bottom and swing up to the right. You revisit. It, when triggers happen, we often have to revisit these places. So after, we, we were functional, functioning normally, right? And then this event happened here. And shock can happen. Denial, absolutely. And so what happens as a result? Avoidance, confusion, fear, numbness, blame, right? All, all of those can happen. And then we get mad. Then we just get angry at whatever it was. The injustice of it all. One of the things just this week that I have been able to put words to for the first time is I would rather live in a merciful world than in a just world. Because if everything revolves around fair and just, that means I'm going to have to get what is fair and just for me and my responses and my reactions too. And, and in my unhealed state and my judgment against you, I'm not very just. Wouldn't it, it? I just am so thankful for James telling us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Yes. Mm -hmm. And may, may, God, may God grace us to be people of mercy and not judgment. To be people who have the, the courage to receive mercy and not judgment. To allow people to grace us with mercy and not try to fix us. And may we become those people as well in the process. And so with anger comes frustration and anxiety and irritation and embarrassment and shame. Oh, my goodness. And then we roll around and finally get over our anger enough to get depressed. <laughs> and we sense detachment in that. Overwhelmed. We have the blahs, lack of energy, helplessness. And then something happens where suddenly we find ourselves angry again. And we go straight back into denial. Don't have time to deal with it, don't want to deal with it, right? We're back in step one and we go, ah, oh, come on. But because we've processed through part of that grief already, we'll, we'll keep, we'll do this. It's normal to revisit those things, to come back on those things. It's normal. And eventually, little by little, step at a time, we'll get back up to, well, we'll progress to dialogue and bargaining. <laughs> 
reaching out to others, desiring to tell our story, struggling to find meaning for what has happened. And then we come to a place of acceptance of the suffering. This hurt, I'm empty, I accept it. And then we get confused because then the emptiness doesn't go away. I accepted it already, shouldn't I? Mm -mm. No, you're still empty. That's your new reality. That's your new normal. There is still a hole. But how do we live in the grace of acceptance? Up to empowerment, security, self-esteem, and meaning. And then we shoot back around those at different times. For me, this chart is very, very helpful to realize, to give myself permission to be and to feel and to express in the company of people who love me, see me, care, will allow, and also time by myself. And we all need that to different degrees. For some of us, isolation will kill us. And for others, we desperately, desperately need it. For most of us, for all of us, we need both. For all of us, we need both. So, um, then we have uh, spiritual. We, we get fatigued spiritually. And honestly, you guys, there's one remedy for spiritual fatigue. One. And it's time with Jesus. Not time praying about somebody else. Not time interceding. Not time studying the Bible. Nope. Sitting with Jesus and pouring out our hearts. The good, the bad, and the ugly of it all. It's time with him. Not time about him. Not time on behalf of someone else. Not praying about your finances and everything. Not praying about anything. Sometimes, just sitting. Being with. That's the only thing that fixes spiritual fatigue and stabilizes us again. Then there's social. People just wear us out when we're in, in grief sometimes. Uh, our problem might be too many people, our problem might be too few people. One thing we have to recognize in grief is that it may not be our family that is best equipped to walk us through this. It may not be our family who wants to hear our stories again. It may not even be our closest friends. For some people, they really do need an, an is the word an, a, autonomous, is that the right word? A group, grief share group or a support group or something where they don't know anybody there. Nobody. And that becomes the safe place. I know that wouldn't have worked for me. I considered it for a while. I was in grief counseling for a while after the whole uh, year, uh, traumatic year uh, a while back. And I knew that that wouldn't work for me. I would never be able to, to process well with a group of strangers. Um, everybody's different. Know yourself. Know what you need there. Don't assume that the people who have always been there for you for, you for other things will be there for you for this. Because they may not be able to handle your grief either. That may be a relationship that's Exclusive for other things, but maybe not this one. <coughs> and the people that God does give us will surprise us sometimes to help us process this. So we need to be careful when we are grieving to not put on other people some expectations that are unfair. 
even though they might be the logical ones that would first come to mind, they not, may not be the best ones to help us process that. Have you noticed that your creative energy just kind of dries up? Your creativity in grief, you get fatigued creatively. You feel numb, you feel dead, you feel empty. For some people, it really does help to do some things that are creative. For other people, it will make it worse. You, you know that. But, but understand that if you, if you are a creative person in general, or if your work requires of you that you are, are creative, expect fatigue, so make allowances for it. Expect that your creativity may, be, may come to a, a bit of a standstill. But on the other hand, expect that as a songwriter, you'll get some great songs out of this on the other side. Yeah? As a writer, you'll get a great story or two out of this on the other side. As a photographer, you'll start seeing things through a new filter and go, that captures it right there. So for your creatives, give yourself the space to diminish that, but then also with the hope that you'll be able to reach people that you've never been able to reach before, and there will be healing for your own soul as you re-engage with creativity. But it'll be a step at a time. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Cannot play for a while. Cannot do something for a while. And then we have this one. Oh my goodness, our cultural condition. Sensory fatigue. Yeah, anybody relate? Too much TV, too much social media. Don't you just want to bless your laptop with a brick sometimes? <laughs> um, and yet you're the one who turned it on again. Uh, Social media feels meaningless, feels shallow, because it is a lot of times. Uh, and then there's the areas, sensory areas of too much food, too little food, the wrong kind of food. And so we get even more, more fatigued, right? Uh, we, we have too many people to communicate with. We don't have enough people to communicate with. We just... We have to understand ourselves and be in community for others to help us remember who we are. For somebody to have the nerve to say, stop eating that. For somebody to love us enough to say, why don't you just lay off Facebook for a while? Yeah, it's just making you mad. It's okay. To have people who know us. Uh, Another one in this area of sensory is we become quite sensitive, don't we, to noises. Some kinds of music. Maybe it's been time for music in the past, but it is not now. I want silence. Or maybe, here's, here's the, the tricky thing about music. It's so emotional. And we do know ourselves, and we do listen to so much by default some of the time, but still. You know what kinds of music are going to help you. You already know yourself well enough and know what kinds of music are not going to help you, are going to hurt you. So go to the helpful music, you know? When you're in depression, the last thing I want to do, anybody else going to be honest enough with me here, the last thing I want to do is feel better. I don't want to be happy. I don't want to be happy right now. Put on happy music, not doing it. Even though I know that if I'd listened for three minutes, I'd be happier. That it really would help my condition, my mental condition, my emotional place, right? It really would help me. And I go, I'm not doing that. I really like this depression. Hey, be kind to yourself. 
put on some happy music. Yeah? Stop playing games with yourself. I like to refer to it as sanctified manipulation. <laughs> it works. Just manipulate, manipulate yourself right into less depression. Yeah? And go eat something besides fries and a Diet Coke. Please? Yeah? Carrots, for example. Uh, okay. And then, and then there's physical. Because all of this affects that, doesn't it? Yeah. So we are affected by all of these one way or the other. Either too much, too little. Here's what we try to do sometimes in our, oh, lack of energy. I'm just going to sleep more. What sleep helps is our physical fatigue. Now, it will let me be less cranky for a while. Right? If I get more sleep tonight, I will be less cranky for the first hour and a half tomorrow morning than I would have been normal. But it doesn't last. It doesn't fix. Sleep fixes physical. We need to know what... We need, we need people in our lives because we don't know ourselves well in, in mourning and grief. It's new territory. We don't know what's going on. We need other people and we need honesty with our own selves. Uh, sleep just isn't going to fix everything, so what will help? Not that the goal is to be fixed. The goal is to live it thoroughly, to live it completely. Mourning and grief is part of the human condition. We must learn to embrace it and live it out and live it thoroughly and live it well and live through it. And then on the other side, have the emptiness and the acceptance and the health to choose life knowing that our filter will, will forever be changed. And it will, won't it? And it has been, hasn't it? Yeah, our filter is forever changed. <laughs>